Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center. Dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek from the Register Guard Newsroom. Welcome to the Duck Pod. I'm Ryan Thorburn, joined by Austin Meek. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about Oregon's victory over Bowling Green in the opener, look ahead to Portland State. Uh, We'll also have an interview with Portland State head coach Bruce Barnum, and then we'll give our predictions for this Saturday's game. Ticket City presents Why You Go to See the Oregon Ducks. Uh, D'Anthony Thomas just killing it that game. In between third and fourth quarter, the Wisconsin fans are doing jump around, and then we bring out Shout, and the crowd's just going crazy, and then that fumble happens, and Chip Kelly's jumping up and down on the sideline. Put yourself in the action with Ticket City. Visit DuckSports.com and click tickets. Okay, Austin, the... 2018 season is underway. Oregon defeats Bowling Green 58-24 last Saturday at Autzen Stadium. Uh, Kind of an interesting game. Justin Herbert only completes 10 passes but throws five touchdowns. Uh, He also ran for a touchdown. The only person that's had those numbers, five touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown, is one Marcus Mariota. Good company. I, I don't think we want to read too much into an opener against Bowling Green, but uh, overall, I thought it was a good performance. Um, slow start for the Ducks, a little shaky finish, but in between, they looked like uh, an electrifying team. Yeah, you touched on this in your story the day after, about uh, 10 minutes into the game, Ducks are down 10 nothing. Fans are booing after Oregon calls its second time out of the first quarter. That's um, not exactly the start you would have hoped for for Oregon's 2018 season. But that uh, that kind of came out in the wash with, with how the game turned out. I don't think anybody was really uh, concerned about that based on, on how the game ended. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. It's get, it's going to be hard. I think we're going to say the same thing every week in here for the next three weeks. It's it's just what what can you really take from these games when they're playing teams that they should should beat and beat handily? Uh, but there there were some things to like. There were some some question marks that I think we need to keep an eye on going forward. But overall, pretty solid performance to start the season. Yeah, you mentioned the the 10-0 hole. Obviously, they had a, a fourth and eighteen, I believe it was, and, and Herbert throws. You know, a pass that is just, you cannot throw it any better, as Marcus Royal said on 4th and 18 for a 33-yard touchdown to Jalen Red for Oregon's first points of the game. From there, they go on a 37-0 run. My only takeaway is Justin Herbert looks great, and 
you know, we'll see if everyone else can catch up. I mean, your column was about, you know, how these receivers need to help him out a little bit. They had some drops on the first drive, or it's a start-to-finish annihilation. So uh, I think if if Justin Herbert stays healthy and gets some help, this team's going to be in the thick of things in the north. Uh, if he does not, obviously it's going to be another long year. Yeah, the formula, I think, is pretty clear. The whole team's got to grab Justin Herbert's coattails and just try to hang on because he can take them places. They can, he can do for this team what Marcus Mariota did for the Ducks in 2014, but he is going to need some help. And even though the receivers, they, they did make some plays, uh, they, they stepped up and you know, Johnny Johnson had a ball over his shoulder, dragging a defender into the end zone. Jalen Red made a, a nice catch on that ball you mentioned that just hit him perfectly as he's running out the back of the end zone. So they made some plays, but they also missed some plays that, that you need to make. If your quarterback's going to win the Heisman Trophy, if your team is going to contend for a conference title, they they got to make those plays. You know, Herbert was 10 for 21. He could have been 15 for 21. He threw five touchdowns. He could have thrown six. Could have thrown seven. So uh, it didn't matter in that game. It's not going to matter this week. It's not going to matter the week after. But eventually it is going to matter. And that's I think that's the question with this whole season is, are the other guys around Herbert going to step up when it matters? I don't think Mario and company have time to listen to our podcast, but we've talked about how <laughs> with this uh, – you know, let's face it, it's it's a really easy non-conference schedule, probably the easiest of any Power 5 team this year. Um, we talked about how you could kind of treat it as an NFL preseason and play a lot of guys, rest starters once you get a big lead. And sure enough, they played all six of their top running backs, had a, at least one carry, eight different guys caught passes. Um, Jim Levitt, some of his backups uh, were in for over 40 snaps. So... I think that's smart, and I think they're developing depth. And my only question is, once the Stanford game comes, will they decide on you know a couple uh, bell cow running backs? Will Herbert hone in on three or four top receivers? How do you think that's going to play out? Yeah, I'm especially interested at running back because I don't think that they can continue to play six guys at that position after they get into Pac-12 play. And I didn't see a lot of separation from any of those guys, really. Um, nobody jumped jumped out at me as being head and shoulders ahead of the other guys. They all had some nice moments. Uh, overall, Oregon wasn't dominant in the running game. I think they averaged about five yards a carry. I think the longest running play for a, a running back was like 15 yards. Uh, now, they had a couple big ones on screen passes, which are you know, almost running plays. Uh, but I would have liked to see Oregon be a little more dominant in the running game. And I would have liked to see one of those running backs really separate himself, whether that's Tony Brooks James, who is going into it, the guy that you would think is probably the number one, uh, number one option. Uh, but I would like to see somebody create a little bit of separation there, and I think that's one of the things we're going to be looking for the next two weeks. Another takeaway I had, um, first of all, Mario was very happy with the offensive line. They started a true freshman at left tackle, Panay Sewell. He felt like they dominated the line of scrimmage, so he's the expert on that. I believe him. Um, they did have over 500 yards of offense despite all the drops. Um but Jim Levitt's defensive front, especially the defensive linemen, the guys we expect to be good, Jalen Jelks, Jordan Scott, um, all of those type of players that have experience and athleticism, 
they dominated as well. They really dominated Bowling Green up front, and that's a good sign. Yeah, I thought the pass rush was one of the bright spots. Justin Hollins blew up the quarterback, forced a fumble. Uh, Jalen Jelks was in the backfield a lot. And Ugo Amadi, you know, he's a, a guy who's a senior, a veteran in that, that secondary, uh, you know, a position where they need some, some veterans to step up. For him to have a pick six and a sack, that's the kind of playmaking you're looking for from a guy who's, who's a senior, who's been around, and, and who should be one of the leaders of Jim Levitt's defense. So before we get Bruce Barnum in here, let's talk a little bit about this Saturday's game. Oregon hosts Portland State. Um, the Vikings have lost 14 consecutive games. They're coming off a 72-19 loss at Nevada. Um, I, Mario is trying to stir, rally everyone with, oh, they almost beat Oregon State. They they did beat Washington State a few years ago. Uh, do you think Oregon is going to be ready to play up for this game and take care of business, or is there a possibility that it could be another slow start against the Vikings? Yeah, or is it going to matter? <laughs> Will yeah. we be able to tell? I don't know. It's funny. I remember interviewing Bruce Barnum uh, two years ago, because if you remember, things started out for him uh, incredibly well at Portland State. Uh, they beat Washington State, and they beat North Texas in like the first month uh, with him as the head coach. And so he was kind of the toast of, you know, um, non-power five football for a while. This, this little team from Portland state is, you know, they're beating teams from the PAC 12 and they're, uh, they're beating a, you know, a a higher level team from North Texas. And since then the wheels have just completely fallen off. Um, As you mentioned, you know, they 14 losses in a row. There've been some, some off the field things with Portland state. So uh, they're a, they're a program that uh, that is just looking for its way right now, but they did show last year. You know, even though they they did not have a good season last year, they gave Oregon State a scare, and Oregon State was not a good team last year, uh, and certainly it should not be anything close to that on Saturday. But if you're Mario Cristobal, I'm sure you're showing the film of that Oregon State game last year and saying, "Hey, you guys might not believe it, but." this team could come in here and and hang with us if we don't take them seriously. Yeah, I remember watching that game on on television, and it really came down to finally Oregon State put together a clutch drive at the end, and and I believe Portland State's kicker uh, let them down with with a missed field goal. But uh, Jim Levitt, I don't think he was trying to throw shade, but he basically said Oregon State was not prepared to, to play a really good game, and it almost came back to bite them, and that's the lesson you have to prepare to play, you know, like you're playing Stanford and, and it'll all take care of itself. So I expect that to happen. My biggest thing I'm looking for this Saturday is uh, the backup quarterback position for Oregon. Um, Braxton Burmeister came in against Bowling Green when it looked like Oregon was rolling. Mario decides to pull him after a three and out. Um, I think Braxton needs to, to have some positive things happen in this game, if not against Portland. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay it against who? 
Yeah, and will we see Tyler Shuck? You know, I it would make sense to get Tyler Shuck in the game mm-hmm. one of these first three because if if he doesn't get in the game in these first three, we're probably not going to see him this year. Would be my assumption. Uh, and you know, Braxton Burmeister just. I understand why he's the backup. He's he's earned that. He played last year. He's more experienced, but he hasn't necessarily shown that um, he's got a commanding hold on that number two quarterback job. hasn't hasn't done anything necessarily to to lock that up. So does Tyler Shuck get a chance to go out there and a blowout and and show what he can do? Uh, you'd hope so because if we don't see him these next two weeks, we may not see him all year. All right, well, we're going to take a quick pause here, and then we will get to our interview with Portland State head coach Bruce Barnum. Okay, as promised, we have Portland State head coach Bruce Barnum on the line. Bruce, first of all, thanks for spending a few minutes with us here uh, at the Register Guard. I guess I'll start out with, you know, I read that you're kind of excited about your game plan. Um, What's kind of, in a nutshell, the challenge of of bringing your team down to Autzen Stadium? Ryan, uh, first off, uh, thank you for giving my student athletes some attention. Um, I got some great kids, and you know uh, the excitement of going down there is there's one thing I try to do here um, because we do play money games. We play up. Uh, it's just how FCS football works. Uh, it helps pay the bills, but uh, I'm careful in scheduling as well. Uh, just I, I want them to uh, experience. Um, the, a true college game day, you know, uh, just the uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, the pageantry that you don't get at Portland State that you see on TV. Um, that's one thing uh, that happens, and everybody on my team, you know, uh, they think Oregon should have took them, uh, so they're excited uh, and they play up, but. Uh, flashing away from that, well, what I need to see is improvement. I mean, uh, we played a lot of new people last week versus Nevada Reno. Had a great first half, and the wheels fell off. But I, I need to see improvement because that, uh, then there's one more week uh, where we actually play down. We flip, we flip it a little bit, but then we get into conference play, and that's what I need to be ready for. Yeah, as you, as you kind of alluded to, you're literally playing with house money. Oregon will uh, write your athletic department a check, which I'm sure helps uh, go a long way um, in producing your program and everything. Um, do you and your, your kids, you kind of uh, mentioned this as well, do you kind of enjoy this underdog role when you get a chance to play uh, a Pac-12 team? Um, obviously in 2015, I think it was, you guys uh, beat Washington State and Pullman. Um, is it something you guys kind of look forward to, that challenge? I think the kids do. You know, as coaches, uh, we're always going to give them a plan, uh, even the plan this week. You know, if, if it's if it's executed, um, and don't get me wrong, Oregon's going to have to make some mistakes because they're a very talented football team. Um, who knows where it's at in the fourth quarter? Uh, that's a goal going into these games. If we're close in the fourth quarter, within two scores, uh, we we think we have a shot in that game, and, and that's what happened uh, a few years ago at Washington State, and then down in North Texas. But um, it's something that, uh, yes, it's a challenge. Um, but we need to use this game. It's kind of a preseason. Uh, we need to use these three games to get ready uh, for the 
Big Sky Conference because that's when we can earn a spot to the playoffs. It's funny the wording you used because I think Jim Levitt literally said that he expects every game to be a fourth quarter game, including this one, and that's just how he prepares. Is that kind of the key to pulling one of these off? Is the later it goes, maybe the more pressure the the big favorite uh, feels? Is that what happened at Washington State, or did you just flat out beat them that day? No, I, I exactly what you said. Uh, just said, Ryan. We got to the fourth quarter, and that game was close. You know, and, and I think our kids loosened up. Uh, we'd already talked about it. If we get to this point, you know, we, we had a. Uh, honestly, a fourth quarter game plan uh, where, where we would switch some things up on them and uh, hopefully not their coaches wouldn't have time to adjust. And they, the plan just came together that day. And then they made that one mistake we needed. Uh, we punted um, down to the five. We were punting in, and, and they dropped it, and we recovered it, and we got a score, and uh, that was the key to the game. What was that trip? home like that day after I, I think that was the first time Washington State ever lost to a Big Sky team and uh, probably you guys' first ever win over a Pac-12 team what was that feeling like and that whole ride that year going 9-3 and three, you also beat North Texas Montana Montana State I mean that was really kind of a dream first season wasn't it? It was you know and, and I remember the ride home from Washington State because it was a cloud you know it's about a Oh, what, nine or ten hour trip, and it felt like an hour, you know. Um, all the kids' Twitter and all that was going haywire, and probably, uh, luckily, uh, we were able to enjoy it as a group. We were on a bus, but um, there's a spot between Pullman and the Tri Cities where there's no internet. So that's when a lot of talking took place, and all of a sudden they started reading their phones all the way home. So it was a fun season, you know, it was a season of glory, and um, uh, it, it was a challenge as a coach, and I had a plan uh, because I was watching uh, 27 seniors uh, who all played and who were very talented. Um, and when they gave me a five-year contract, I said, "Okay, uh, we're going to start this over." And you know, your dream is not to have it be a one-hit wonder. And I was going to even out the classes because uh, we lost a lot at certain positions that year. And that's what I'm doing now, you know. Um, next year, it'll be all my guys, and the following year will be my fifth year. So uh, even after going, we shouldn't have went 0-11 last year, but that's me. You know, leadership, I need to be able to pull us out of a game. We kind of got gut-punched at Oregon State. We played really well, one of these money games. And we lost it late. Had a chance to win it, very good chance, but we didn't, and it, it was hard to pull out of that. So, um, and they kind of led into the 0 and 11. Uh, so this year, uh, clicking up, we need to get back on track, uh, get through these money games. You know, we're going to give them our best shot, and you'll see some effort out, uh, out of our football team. Uh, Oregon's going to have to beat us. We're, we're not going to lose that game before we get there, uh, and then we'll see what happens in the Big Sky. Given that was a long answer, Ryan. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's good. It's a podcast. Um, given what happened last <laughs> year, and then obviously a tough start at Nevada, as you mentioned, how do you keep this team um, bouncing back, um, especially this week? And, and does it help to have such a young team? I think your depth chart has twelve freshmen and eighteen sophomores on the two deep. 
what's kind of the mood of having this young team and are they pretty resilient do you think they're they're young and they have a great personality ryan um uh, you know kids are invincible uh, they are resilient um they see the plan uh, they're not um it's not a woe is me you know uh, we did have some guys that were in, we had some me guys in some situations where i had to cut bait as a head coach make those tough decisions but right now my locker room um you wouldn't know that we lost arena you know um, they're working hard on the football field. Uh, we, we've improved because there were mistakes, you know, that first game out of the gate. Uh, and we had some big eyes. We had some saucer eyes in that game. A lot of kids played their first, you know, in Division One football game. And the game is faster. And, um, but uh, with that youth and what's following it behind it, we have a lot of talent here as well. Uh, so uh, the winning will come, I promise you. Jim Levitt specifically mentioned your quarterback, Davis Alexander, as the type of player who can present multiple problems. And you'll have to help me with the last name pronunciation, but he said, Charlie, your tight end could play, you know, for any Pac-12 team. Can you kind of just discuss those two? And I assume they're some of your leaders and and big players and and what your offense is like this year. Um, They are. uh, Start with the quarterback, Davis Alexander, Gig Harbor, Washington, uh, young man, um, you're actually talking. Coach Levis was actually talking about my first two recruits. Once I got the contract and found out it was five years, uh, we took Charlie out of Federal Way, Tama Mapea, um, and we took Davis. Um, Davis is a type. The quarterback is a type of athlete who can um, extend plays. Uh, the danger of it is, is he has a big arm along with it. You know. Uh, he can make the throws. Now, he had one critical last week. He he was scrambling, and he, you know, threw an interception. But uh, after that and before that, he ran the system. He did a very nice job. Uh, uh, so that's Davis. Then you add Charlie uh, to a very young but talented receiving core. You know, he's, a one, he's one of the, like I said, I, I didn't take many freshmen that year because I was on an interim contract and I had to win right away. So it was kind of a puzzle. But I took those two student athletes and I said, okay, we're gonna bank these guys in case I get that contract. Um, So when it came to fruition, you know, Charlie um, is a guy who shined last year and um, he's uh, very talented. He's, he's, He's got the size, he's got the speed. He's a very natural athlete. Um, so uh, he'll be a guy probably more than when we get to the big sky. Excuse me, because I'm trying to find in these first three games his supporting cast. Uh, but you'll see him uh, featured a lot in our offense. And then, obviously, your defense um, obviously is looking to bounce back. Uh, maybe that puzzle's a work in progress, but I'm sure those young guys are excited to go against Justin Herbert. Yeah, everyone's talking about him as maybe jumping in the Heisman mix, maybe being the number one quarterback taken in a future NFL draft. Just your thoughts on watching film of Justin Herbert and getting ready for that challenge. Well, uh, very talented uh, young man, uh, great uh, young man, great student-athlete. Um, I just told uh, somebody earlier, uh, we met him as a high school senior. He was in our office. Uh, him and his mother were up, and we were wooing him. 
you know, but good for him. He blew up, and the Pac-12 discovered him. He ended up at Oregon, and he's he's having a great career. Um, So my guys going up against him, um, our defense right now, uh, Ryan, when we're fast, we're pretty good. Uh, We slowed down in that game. Uh, We cramped. You know, some things came up that, um, took uh, some good football players off the field. And uh, we faced that adversity. And the one thing you'll notice, you know, FBS to FCS, is because of the number of scholarships. Um, my twos, my second and third group, uh, you can tell the difference. You might not be able to tell the difference between, you know, o- Oregon's uh, sixth old lineman or, or their second string or third string linebacker, but at the FCS level, you can tell that difference. There's quite a drop off, um, just because you, you know your youth, and we, we rely on more than them on walk-on student athletes that come here and earn a scholarship. Well, listen, Bruce, we really look forward to uh, seeing your team uh, at 11 a.m. early kickoff on Saturday at Autzen Stadium and for taking time out during a busy week to to spend some time with us. And uh, good luck to you, Coach. We appreciate it. No, uh, Ryan, thank you, and thank you, Registered Guard, for uh, talking about my football team. All right, Austin. So for our final segment, I think we should – Go ahead and make a prediction for Saturday. Uh, I'm going to take Oregon. You going to take Portland State? <laughs> a bold pick there by you. I think in the paper I said 77-10. I mean, I don't like making those kind of predictions. I'm just doing the math off last week yeah. that Nevada put 72 on. I know that Nevada's trying to make more of a statement because they're, you know, picked pretty low in the Mountain West, and they need to. Their coach needs to to make some hay there. Oregon. You figure if Nevada's going to score 72, they're going to score more, but you, you just never know. Like I said, uh, Herbert could come out at halftime. Maybe Burmeister doesn't put a lot of points on the board. We'll see. But I said 77-10. I don't like these kind of games. Um, I hope the Vikings take the check they're getting from Oregon and do some good things with it. But uh, other, otherwise, beyond both teams staying healthy, it's just there's not a lot of excitement in this game. I'll be interested to see what the crowd's like for at 11 a.m. Yeah, I, I think – this could easily be uh, the smallest crowd at Autzen since they expanded the stadium. Uh, the next two weeks, it could be a close call as to which which game draws the smaller crowd. Um, I'll go with the Ducks, sixty-six to six. I was doing, I was sending out our, our staff picks this week, and uh, I was looking for a point spread on this game, and I, I don't think you can even find one. I don't know if you could make one big enough. I thought about setting the line at fifty. But I actually think that would uh, that would maybe be a little too generous to, <laughs> to the Vikings because I, you know, if if they keep it within fifty, uh, they'll probably feel pretty good about themselves. So before we wrap, um, speaking of the picks, I'm in last. Uh, I believe Mims is in first. Um, <laughs> it's early. It's early. Um, was there anything about the Pac-12 that surprised you? Obviously, I got a bunch wrong. But um, <laughs> just going back to last week, is there anything in the Pac-12, obviously, Washington losing is crushing. Yeah, um, Stanford and USC play this week. What, what's your takeaway from Week One? You know, probably the the game that surprised me the most was Chip Kelly losing his debut to Cincinnati. I think UCLA was a fifteen point favorite. Um, I guess it's not a huge surprise because uh, we both went on on record on this podcast and said uh, that neither of us were very high on UCLA this year. So, but but still, you know, you look at that. 
they lose to Cincinnati. They got to go to Oklahoma now, where they're going to be a thirty-point underdog. Uh, and then they play Fresno State, and if if you can lose to Cincinnati, you can lose to Fresno State. So could it be zero and three to start the Chip Kelly era? And then I don't even know who they open with in the Pac-12, but zero uh, and three could just be the beginning. Who knows? Yeah, some other things I I got wrong. I I thought Arizona was you know going to be ni- dynamic this year. They still could be with Clil Tate, but they lose at home to. Uh, BYU and didn't have a lot going on offensively in Kevin Sumlin's debut. And then up the road, Arizona State looked tremendous. I know they were only playing UT San Antonio, but, you know, everyone's doubting Herm Edwards. Uh, They have a big game this weekend against Michigan State, so uh, maybe we have the Arizonas backwards. We'll see. Yeah. Well, we'll all be looking for something to keep us entertained this Saturday because the Oregon game probably will not, but we'll still be there to let you know what happened. We'll be be, uh, back next week to talk about it on the podcast. Until then, thanks for checking out the Duck Pod. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always available at DuckSports.com. DuckSports.com.